Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Four Americans kidnapped in Mexico, two murdered. That's a story that made international headlines over the last number of days. And then the drug cartel, here's the story as it continues, tied up apparently and turned over to police, the members of their cartel responsible for the murders. Meanwhile, three women from Texas who traveled to Mexico to sell clothes at a flea market, they've gone missing now. And uh, the former deputy director of the FBI has said, Tom Fuentes, I think is his name, has uh, said that nowhere in Mexico is safe from cartels. While you're on the highway, you're vulnerable. And yet millions of Canadians, well, I don't know if it's millions, but many Canadians continue to flock to Mexico for inexpensive vacations in the sunshine. We're joined by Ian Grillo, journalist who lives in Mexico, reports on the cartels. Just looking at Ian's Twitter feed, at Ian Grillo, that's at I-O-A-N-G-R-I-L-L-O. Journalist based in Mexico, focused on crime and drugs, police and gangster politics, author of the El Narco Trilogy, and uh, Ian's book, which is about to go paperback, is Blood Gun Money, which is an incredible read. It's all about how the, the, what the guns that make their way from the United States to Mexico and the cartels. Ian, good to talk to you. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. How are you doing, Roy? Excellent. Uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, again, reading your book. I, I read it online. You were kind enough to send me a PDF, and I, I'm going to get the, uh, the, the paperback, so I have it in my collection. Before I talk, talk to you about what's going on now and ask you the questions about what's been going on over the last number of days in, in Mexico, you also have... Um, um, reports that you make available to uh, people who subscribe to your to your service and it's free the, the the one that I want to ask you about let's start with this you headlined it so is mexico a narco state is it ian uh, um it could well be argued that it is um if you look at these definitions of what a narco state is in that large parts of the state are taken over by drug traffickers and working with drug traffickers. However, um, I do say that I don't like to, as a journalist, throw this around too much because like any government, like the Canadian government, American government or anywhere else, a government's got many sides and does many things. Instead, in Mexico, you have a health service, which you know works daily to try and look after you know millions of people. You have school teachers. Uh, you have all the other parts of the state which are working, and you have this very venomous drug cartels and organized crime which have like taken over parts of the state so i think that the challenge is how can you try and uh if you think of it like a forest that some of the trees have got this very noxious weed around them how do you try and take away that weed from those trees without burning down the whole forest yeah fair fair statement so let's let's get to the stories that the world has been concentrating on over the last uh, week to two weeks what do we know for sure about the kidnapping of the four americans and the murders of the two of them in matamoros 
So yeah, these these four Americans uh, from South Carolina went down to uh, Matamoros, and one of them, the, this woman, had an appointment for a kind of liposuction type treatment. Um, now they other ones did have criminal records, uh, you know, including for drugs uh, in South Carolina, but we don't have any evidence that was connected to the attack on them. So they went down in a bit late, drove into Matamoros for, over the border from Brownsville. Uh, when they came under attack from gunmen, which we believed are from the Gulf Cartel, a faction of the Gulf Cartel, which is a major drug trafficking uh, faction which controls this part of Mexico. Now, the, the time this happened, there's going to be various shootouts happening in the city. Uh, and in fact, schools were then closed for the afternoon sessions because of these shootouts erupting. There's been sporadic shootouts in this area. A lot, there's a lot of infighting among this cartel and different things. They came under attack apparently by mistake it seems they came under attack were fired on were shot and then were taken to various safe houses uh this became an international news story both with the president of mexico and the united states talking about it and so uh, uh you know a few days later they were found uh, it seems likely the cartel kind of handed them in um like you know allowed them to be found uh, and then handed in some of these People it said were the ones who committed this 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 thing. Like I said, oh, we know we're sorry about this. They've had a statement saying we're sorry about this. Here are the guys who did it, take them, and two of them had been shot dead, and two of them were still alive. How unusual is it for cartels to behave in this manner, to turn over members of their own organization in a case like this? And uh, did they do it? Do you think primarily because of fear of American retribution? So I mean, like you know, I spent twenty-two years covering the the actions of cartels and and, and dealing with this. And you you realize it's a very strange logic they live under, um, and it, 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 there's there's certainly history of, the, of them doing this. So there was the time when they um, some cartel members shot dead uh, a, a, a member of the uh, ICE uh, Immigration and Customs Enforcement in Mexico in San Luis Potosi State in 2011, and they and they handed in some of the guys who did that. Um, there was the case when this Archbishop of Guadalajara was shot dead, supposedly as an accident, uh, in 1993, and they they handed over um, some of the guys who did that. So there was, there was a, definitely a history of this. Um, I think they 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 realise you know there's you know, they they do make mistakes and will sometimes say, oh sorry that was a mistake, <laughs> and you know here they hear the guys, but also they. They understand the consequences, the pressure from the United States and the pressure from the Mexican government acting on behalf of the United States. Like how many of these people are they going to arrest? How much of their operations are they going to hurt? How many of their guys on the U.S. side are they going to arrest as a result of this action? Tom Fuentes, uh, the former assistant director of the FBI, quoted as saying that nowhere in Mexico is safe from the cartels. His direct quote is, while you're on the highways, you're vulnerable uh, I, I imagine this is because, and I've heard about this, uh, toll collecting by cartel members. Is is he correct or is that an overstatement? I, I don't think it, I think it's an overstatement. I, th I think the thing is, and it's difficult, and, and you know, I, I work on this as a journalist in every state in Mexico. Uh, I also work uh, giving some uh, advice to companies working in Mexico about security situations. And it is difficult to gauge sometimes these levels of danger. But I'll give an example of what this contrast is. Mexico City itself, where I live, if you look at murders per capita, actually has less than many U.S. cities, not only less than the very violent U.S. cities like Baltimore, Maryland, 
uh, or the south side of Chicago, but also less than some cities, you know, like Houston, Dallas, uh, even Portland, Oregon. Um, so, so it's kind of um, Mexico City's got. It's still not safe. There's still a reasonable number of murders here, but it's 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 kind of level of you know dealing with an urban environment. The holiday resorts you mentioned in your intro that many Canadians do go to, generally they're they're, they're pretty safer than than the many American cities. There have been incidents again in these places, but you can still generally go, and most people are going to be okay there. Now, when you say that there are some states which really I would not advise people to go to. Um, including Matamoros, including the state of Tamaulipas, where these people were killed. I wouldn't advise Americans to go there uh, for tourism or medical tourism, maybe for for business if it's important. Um, uh, But there are, indeed, in parts of Mexico, there are highways where there are cartels operating. And, and, you know, so I've been to every state in Mexico and continue going around these very, very difficult areas. And you do see gunmen openly around some of these areas, openly stopping people, asking for ID, and controlling these places. Okay. I have to ask you this question before we get into uh, into the book, uh, Ian. Are you ever concerned for your own safety, doing what you do, reporting on what you report? I mean, I think anybody doing this uh, you know, is, and, and of course, I mean, you know, particularly in the field uh, when you're in these places and you're seeing guys with AK-47s and grenade launchers and that kind of thing, uh, and, you know, sometimes even if you're not targeted specifically, but there could be shootouts, you could be hit by a stray bullet. As someone was, in fact, there was a Mexican woman hit by a stray bullet in this latest kidnapping of, of the Americans. Uh, and also dealing with some of these people, I deal with some of the high level uh, traffickers and, and, and various people that I interview and, you know, and, and dealing with them. But I, at the same time, I do think it is a, a good story and a worthwhile story to cover. I think it's a story of big significance, not only to understanding Mexico, but to really understanding what's happening in many countries in the 21st century, because the issue of organized crime morphing into paramilitary groups, morphing into a kind of uh, weird hybrid of crime and war is a major issue that we face in the 21st century. Yeah, we're seeing that. You're right. We're seeing that around the world. Now, uh, Blood Gun Money, your book declares America, the United States, is where the cartels obtain their guns. Remind us of how widespread the network is in the United States, which provides guns to the Mexican cartels and who you've talked to about this. Yeah, sure. So the, the Mexican uh, cartel networks stretch across the entire United States and into Canada uh, for the distribution of drugs. Uh, and, uh, you know, this is a huge network which which has been moving uh, billions of dollars worth of drugs uh, every year for, for decades now. Uh, and at the same time as drugs are going north, then money is coming south and also guns are going south. So this is not um, only a few guns. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of guns every year. Um, you know, one of the favorites of the cartels, they like uh, AR-15s and AK-47s, which they'll buy in the United States, often convert them to fully automatic. They also like bigger guns that can fire 50 caliber bullets, you know, the the uh, uh, the, the Barretts and these kind of things, which you can buy in... Uh, Arizona for like $9,000 and then some parts of Mexico to sell for $45,000. So quite a big markup. You see those used in fights against Mexican soldiers. There's one video in which you see the cartel gunman firing a 50 cal and blowing a soldier's leg off. Now, in terms of talking, I've talked right across the board to uh, gun traffickers themselves, both in prison and outside, to ATF agents, the people in the gun industry, to, to advocates of this and to all kinds of people in the trade and gone right to the gun factories and right across spent four years in this investigation. 
can the uh, can the cartels be disarmed by the state, by the federal government in Mexico? Uh, because we understand that I, I don't know if it's many, but I've heard that many of the gunmen who operate and work for the cartels are former military. Some of them certainly are former military. There's people you know who are former military from the Mexican army and from some other militaries, uh, the Colombian military, the Guatemalan military, and the U.S. military. You find people here in Mexico. Um, I think it's a question of, of of you have to improve the situation. To say that you, the, the cartels or the, or the you know the criminals can be completely disarmed, uh, I don't think they can. The same way that you know criminals have guns in Canada and criminals have guns in the UK, even though there's there's a lot less guns in our place. The thing is to try and change the situation so it's not really like right now a kind of hybrid of war, but more of a regular criminal situation. So how can you reduce? the power of these cartels? How can you make them into more regular gangs and criminals and traffickers? Uh, and it's very hard to do that with this flow of weaponry happening right now when you have such an enormous supply of firearms. And the argument's made, well, if they don't buy them from the US, they're going to buy them from the Chinese or from the Russians or somewhere else. Um, but it's like, you know, you've got to make it more difficult and put the prices up. And right now, um, you know, they simply have such an abundance of weapons that they can use these guns and then often sell the guns cheap onto the street. So you get guns that are used in crime, sold cheap on the street, and then regular small-time criminals have guns, and there's more violence being perpetuated that way. Uh, also, they have a, a, a you know, seemingly everlasting supply of bullets, and I've been at some of these murder scenes where they won't only, you know, they'll fire 500 bullets at their target. They won't only kill the people they're after, they'll kill the woman in the car behind, the guy selling tacos on the side of the street. So, so it's really a question, I think, of trying to reduce the level of damage uh, and, and try to allow the Mexican state to really get a grip on this. Now, another problem is the Mexican state itself suffers from horrific corruption, as I talked about the kind of narco state thing. So you also have to have simultaneously a fight against the corruption in the Mexican state. But again, when the Mexican state's being outgunned, when soldiers are being outgunned, then they're more likely to take money from the cartels. Yeah, for sure. Blood Gun Money is uh, the title of uh, Ian Grillo's book. The abduction of the four Americans and the killing of two of them and the disappearance of the three women from uh, from Texas who crossed into Mexico to a flea market to sell clothing, apparently. They've now disappeared. Is Does this signal a change in, in operations for the cartels, or are those just um, unusual incidents? I mean, this has been happening for a long time, and you know, this you know, has got news and has got onto the... Uh, you know, into the news media, but these incidents have been happening for, you know, for, for, for many years. There's been Americans who have been killed in Mexico. There's been Canadians. There's been uh, uh, Brits uh, and, and so forth. A, a friend of a friend, a British guy, was, was shot dead in front of his daughter um, in, 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 you know, last year. So this has been happening for a long time. The disappearance of, of Mexicans has been, you know, huge numbers. You've got tens of thousands of Mexicans who have been disappeared. So it's not really new. I think it's the media grabbing some attention to some of these incidents. And I think it's some statements being made by certain American politicians who are saying, well, this is how bad this is. We need to use the U.S. Army against the cartels. Um, now, my issue with that is, is not, you know, is really what are you going to achieve by using the U.S. Army against the cartels? Um, I mean, you could have success in an operation. You could go in there and, you know, find out and locate a cartel training camp or, or a cartel base and go in there and kill them. But this is a very, very big thing. You've got hundreds of thousands of cartel operatives, probably millions in Mexico living related to this. And and so you really need some big structural things to try and you know change this, this, right. this thing. And just a few shootouts is not gonna it's not gonna deal with the cartels. Okay. 
If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.